From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Well, I, I think the point that we want to drive home here, though, is that many times law students really need help, but they are afraid to reach out for help. And sometimes they're afraid to reach out for help because they're concerned that they're going to have to report that they sought help to the bar as part of the character and fitness process. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Miami Law's Dean of Students, Janet Stearns, a national advocate for law student well-being, serves on the American Bar Association's Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs as chair of the Law School Committee. Her campaign to break down barriers in the bar admission process for students with substance abuse and mental health issues is building momentum. This movement is all the more critical with the stresses of isolation in our current pandemic. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. So just to let our listeners know, we're we're still in our no studio, new normal mode. Uh, the windows are open, so there might be some nice natural sound today. Uh, good morning, Janet. Welcome to The Explainer. Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here today. Law school, under usual circumstances, can be a pretty stressful place to be. How common are mental health and substance abuse issues for law schools normally, law students normally? Well, Catherine, you know, our offices are just filled with students who are anxious and depressed and reaching out to us for help. But back in 2014, Miami Law participated in a national survey of law students. And that national survey really gave us a lot more information. And it showed us that we what we were feeling anecdotally was really um, backed up by the data. So we learned that we had about 17% of our students who were screening positive for depression. About 37% of those students were screening positive for anxiety. And about 6% had seriously thought about suicide in the last 12 months, which is a really scary number. Um, And that really Mm. showed us that we really had to be a lot more proactive in working with our students. What kind of um, substance abuse issues were you seeing in that survey? Well, we were surprised to learn that more than half of our students actually reported to us that they had been drunk in the prior 30 days. That's a really high number. Um, And we had Mm -hmm. 14% who actually told us that they had used prescription drugs without a prescription. And that also showed us we had a lot more work to do around substance use. Um, now with with lockdowns and social distancing and online education, how is that that changing the conversation? Well, as we know, Catherine, the entire world right now is incredibly stressed out about their health, their families, their economic and personal well-being. Um, and of course, as we've learned, some people are medically a lot more susceptible to what's happening with this pandemic. But I would argue we have a lot of people who are more emotionally susceptible. If you have that pre-existing mm-hmm. condition of being anxious or depressed, you're only going to be that much more anxious and depressed right now with the social isolation that we're all experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so we know that calls to national suicide hotlines are up. We know that people are 
going in large numbers to online AA meetings, to online mindfulness sessions. Um, they're really hungry for teletherapy or any kind of connection and support. Are you seeing a, a big jump in are, are students calling you or are calling other professionals at a higher rate than than you've seen before? Ever before. Absolutely, Catherine. I mean, we 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 know that our students, um, you know, as a microcosm of the larger profession, are um, anxious, um, highly anxious by everything that's happening in the world around them. And they're reaching out for support. Um, and we are doing our level best, both at Miami Law, but I believe, you know, across the country to support law students and try to be as proactive as we can. So I, I know that your survey uh, earlier that you referenced had some some pretty astounding numbers, and that was pre-pandemic. Right. Well, I think the point that we want to drive home here, though, is that many times law students really need help, but they are afraid to reach out for help. And mm -hmm. sometimes they're afraid to reach out for help because they're concerned that they're going to have to report that they sought help to the bar as part of the character and fitness process. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a huge concern. Our survey back when we when we surveyed back in 2016, we learned that many students were afraid to reach out, whether it's to the dean of students or to a therapist, because they were afraid that the mere fact that they reached out was something they were going to have to report as part of their character and fitness process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, and how is that, that process traditionally handled the, mental health and substance abuse issues? So, Catherine, you know, state bars have a lot of latitude about what they can consider as part of the character and fitness process. State bars can ask questions about your finances. They can ask questions about your parking tickets. They can ask questions about a lot of things. And for many, many years, they were asking a lot of questions about mental health history, whether you access psychiatric services, whether you had uh, um, alcoholism or any kind of substance use as a as something in your past. There was a big turning point in 2014. 2014, the Department of Justice under President Obama sued the State Bar of Louisiana um, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And in suing the State Bar of Louisiana, they ultimately came up with a consent decree where they recognized that the kinds of questions about mental health condition uh, were intrusive and, in fact, violated people's medical history that was protected under the ADA. And I think that was a big turning point that led the American Bar Association also to pass a resolution and try to um, make this Louisiana consent decree a national standard. And so this, this is, um, for me, a significant moment because we are trying to now look at what the Louisiana consent decree meant and how we can try to work with other state bars to... Um, um, make clear to students that they should not be afraid to seek help when they need it. 
So can you talk a little about what the American Bar Association and other national organizations have been doing to advocate for this kind of change? So um, in 2017, there was a um, national task force uh, which came together, a coalition of advocates, both the ABA uh, Commission on Lawyers Assistance Programs, which I'm a member of, the National Organization of Bar Council, and also the Association of Professional Responsibility Lawyers. And they put together this pathbreaking report, um, which set out practical recommendations for the entire legal profession. Everything from lawyers and judges and bar regulators, but also about law students. And that law students is the part of the piece that, uh, the part of the puzzle that I'm the most interested in. And since this report came out, there's been a huge amount of advocacy trying to make sure that both our law students understand strategies for well-being and trying to remove any kind of institutional barriers that would keep them from getting the kind of help that they need. And so since the time of this report, there has been a lot of work, some of it which I've been very proud to participate in, trying to continue to advocate for change, particularly change in the character and fitness process, state by state, so that students will understand that when they reach out for help, that will not become a barrier to their entry to the legal profession. So we've done a number of things since then. Um, one of these has included working um, to advocate for the Conference of Chief Justices. So these are the head justices in each of the 50 states who are the head of the state Supreme Courts. That's important mm -hmm. because the state Supreme Courts actually govern bar admission and mm -hmm. thereby govern the rules behind the character and fitness process in each of the 50 states. And so we were very, very pleased when the um, Conference of Chief Justices just last February passed a resolution urging each state to eliminate the mental health questions on the character and fitness process. Um, and, and that led to um, me working on an article last year um, mm -hmm. that was just published in uh, a few months back. Um, and my article, which appeared in the ABA Professional Lawyer, um, which is mm -hmm. a publication of the uh, professional ethics section of the of the American Bar, tries to look at the history of this path from the Louisiana consent decree to the future, but also tries to set out a roadmap for reform. Mm -hmm. And uh, are are there some some things that you can point to that have already like there's hope for change or changes in the air? Well, I always have a lot of hope for change, Catherine. So I think there is a lot of change in the air right now. Um, I think that there has been so much advocacy. Um, and I think in addition to the advocacy, to be honest, there's been some very high profile tragedies, tragedies both here in Florida with some lawyer suicides um, that just have, have torn at all of our hearts, but I think mm -hmm. also a lot of, um, recognition nationally that our profession is in crisis. And that one of the ways that we affect this, this crisis is by trying to, um, provide our law students with better coping skills, better resources. Um, and so we're, we're very proud that there has been a lot of progress. Some of the specific things that we can now point to 
was that just in February, the New York State Bar, a very large bar, a very influential bar, voted to eliminate its mental health and substance use questions um, on its character and fitness application. This was a Mm -hmm. huge, huge victory um, and something that we think creates a tremendous momentum. Um, Next, in March, just as we were beginning to close for the pandemic, the Michigan State Supreme Court voted to eliminate its character and fitness questions. Um, Again, a significant state um, and I think a significant progress. Mm-hmm. And we're just very, very excited that just last week on April 8th, the Indiana Supreme Court also in trying to start ruling on some of the other questions before the bar um, made the decision to eliminate its character and fitness questions. And if I might, I would just like to read a couple of words of what the Supreme Court justice said in Indiana, because it was just really, really beautiful. And it really goes to the heart of our message to law students. So Chief Justice Loretta Rush from the Indiana Supreme Court, um, in issuing her order, she said, please share these developments with your students and please remind them that it is okay to not be okay and that it is okay to seek and to get help and that doing so is not a barrier to admission to our profession and should never be considered as such We want your students to be healthy and happy students who become healthy, happy lawyers. And it is our privilege to support them along the way. And so, Catherine, I would say, you know, she gets my Profile and Courage Award. Um, (laughs) I think she's just amazing. Um, And I think what Justice Rush is teaching us is that the state Supreme Courts can really send powerful signals to our law students, and they can either be powerful messages of positive change and or they can be messages that create stigma. Um, and when the state asks, starts to ask questions like, did you ever see a psychiatrist and what did you discuss and what are your medical records? These kinds of questions really discourage students from getting treatment and doing what they right. should to take care of themselves. No, but we're very hopeful now with these significant changes in these three states that we're going to continue to see more changes across the country. I think it's a real bellwether moment for us right now. Well, speaking of messages, is there a message that you would like to convey to law students everywhere during these dark times? Well, I would say, Catherine, I, as I, I am always hopeful And I am hopeful that there are some opportunities in this pandemic that we have yet to understand. Um, And I I do take it as a very, very sacred trust as dean of students to take care of each and every one of our law students and um, as I would my own children. And Uh I continue to remain really, really hopeful that we are going to have some new self-awareness and some new opportunities for community and for resilience and for strength that will come out of this 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 difficult period. Hmm. That's an excellent message. Thank you so much and stay healthy, my friend. You too, Catherine. Lovely to see you. Bye now. That wraps up another season at The Explainer. Thank you for all your support and we look forward to being back in the fall. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. 
You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uges. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law and the University of Miami's wellness programs, providing students with the personal, academic, and professional support needed throughout law school. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash students forward slash wellness dash resources. Thank you.